This week on the Crossroads Podcast, we will be looking at the biggest festival that everyone remembers but never really happened, and the biggest festival that no one remembers but actually did happen. Join us as we take our first step into the world of documentary films and explore some very interesting festivals. Welcome to this week's episode of the Crossroads Podcast. I'm your host, Rob. I'm your other host, Ryan. Our first film came out in 2019 about the Fire Festival, the film simply titled Fire. And our second film came out earlier this year, actually a week ago at time of recording. It's called Summer of Soul, or When the Revolution Could Not Be Televised. So Fire is a, a film by a director, Chris Smith. It was produced by him and a couple of other people. Uh, Smith has mostly done, looks like, uh, documentaries throughout, and this is, you know, one, one of the more successful ones that he's had. It came out on Netflix, and it's it's almost like a funny mystery. It's a really hard genre to kind of nail down. Yeah, it it's about the fire festival which infamously never happened but yeah. it's not really about the festival it's about how all these people managed to dupe millions of other people into giving them more money for this festival i was aware of the fire festival like i knew what it was in theory but i guess i just never paid that much attention to it so i was riveted during this whole thing I can honestly say I've never heard of the Fire Festival. Like none, none of the people involved or the artists involved or anything really crossed my radar. So it just never popped up on any of my streams, which is kind of shocking because Blink One Eighty Two was scheduled to headline and their top five favorite bands for me. But other than that, like I don't know any of the acts that were supposed to play. It's just not my genre. So. Yeah, Fire Festival just never crossed my radar. I'm aware of Ja Rule because he was kind of ubiquitous in the 90s and Mm -hmm. every once in a while pops up in things. And one of the songs from Hamilton is kind of based on his style of songs with Ashanti. But this is probably the most exposure I've had to him in anything since he secretly recorded an album with Metallica that never, also never got Mm -hmm. released. Yeah, I think seeing Ja Rule's name in this film is the first time I've heard Ja Rule since like 2002. Yeah. So that, that I feel like he was just kind of caught up in this. Like, I don't really think it was his fault. Yeah, he. it seemed like... All right, a little backstory. Uh, Billy McFarlane is this, this guy from... He's from New York City, if I remember correctly. And he, he had the idea to start this company. Yeah. It's essentially, quote, the credit card for millennials. It's a sleek... Metal credit card, if you have it, you're a cool guy. And he wanted that to fund another project called Fire, which is an app which allows you to book major talent for your own parties. And then as a... What's the word I'm looking for? As a... Yeah, as a kickoff, a raise awareness event, a he wanted to plan the Fire Festival, which would just be a major music festival on Pablo Escobar's island. And they would rent it out. It'd be a weekend event. Hundreds and thousands of people would boat in, fly in, whatever they had to do, and just spend the time in this high-class, fancy hotels and yurts and just have a great weekend. 
And as most people know, that never happened. Yeah. So the, the documentary follows Billy McFarlane on his quest to raise money for this event and somehow lost all the money. Multiple times. It's, it's this weird mystery sort of where it, it becomes funny after a while. They'll get some startup capital and they'll, you know, get somewhere and they'll get some more capital and get somewhere. And then the day comes and yeah, there's nothing. Like, as someone who never paid attention or heard about the Fire Festival, I just found it baffling that all these people continuously got duped by this dude. Well, he had had some amount of success, and you know he was clearly a very charismatic guy because he was able to sucker all these people in, big name talent, and you know getting influencers who I'm not super familiar with, but the movie seems to think yeah, that I should like be. they're like the top uh, ten Instagram models they hired to do a promotional shoot yeah. to get people interested. But that's about yeah. as good as the the production material for the fire festival looks because after that their money just drops yeah so there's a bunch of really cool things going into it about you know how awesome this party is going to be and how people are you know asked to pay more and more money so that they can get nicer and nicer amenities when they get there but there's just nothing and it's uh it's kind of it's kind of crappy like Blink-182, who hasn't really had the best go of it in the last five or six years or so, even though they're kind of, you know, coming back and doing their, their thing, they were supposed to be there. And I, I think it was uh, one a of the, week beforehand they tweeted that they weren't yeah. going because they thought it was sketchy and didn't blatantly say it was sketchy, yeah. but they just, quote, didn't think they could put on the best performance for their fans. Yes, and uh, Matt Skiba, who is their current you know guitarist and co-lead vocalist, is uh, also in a band called Alkaline Trio. And I think that if an Alkaline Trio had been at there, it would have been a much angrier sure. message, um, just because they're a much angrier band, even though they're very, they're very much in the same yeah. realm as Blink. They're, they're both they're both very pop aggressive. punky, but Blink's a little more happy and peppy, where Alkaline Trio is a little more like goth. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yes. I like both bands, but they definitely serve different purposes. And I, th- I believe that uh, there was a song that Alkaline Trio put out about how messed up. I'm not familiar with that song, but so, yeah. I do like them a lot. Yeah, I'm, I'm not either, but, but yeah. Um, yeah, so I don't watch a whole lot of documentaries. If, if I do watch documentaries, it's about really obscure topics that personally interest me. And I found Fire to be yeah. very captivating. Like, from the first 10 minutes, mm-hmm. I was roped into this. And like I said, going in, I knew nothing about this festival, and I wanted all the information. Yeah, there's so much going on. It, I mean, you could make an actual narrative film about this. It probably would be very interesting. I would love a, like, social network-style film about oh, this. Oh, yeah. I don't know who... I don't think that Fincher would want to do it, but I think, no. I think he'd do a good job with it. Yeah, like, any competent drama director could have a field day with this film. Oh, yeah, there's so much... I mean, I think it does play into Fincher's strengths with things like Fight Club, where there's so many different locations you're cutting between, mm-hmm. and he'll never make a movie like that again. He said he spent half his day just watching trucks being loaded and unloaded and shoot three lines of dialogue. Oof. But, uh, yeah, there's so much... 
craziness there that I think it would be a really cool story just to go from that end. And there's a bit of a mystery too because Billy McFarland went to jail over this. Yeah, he, I think he got what three years, six but years. was out on bail. Six years, six but years. got out on bail. Uh, I think so. He um, yeah, because then he tried doing another business venture with a DJ. Yeah, but that's a story for another oh, yeah, time. He, um, yes, because he did something. Else, he did something else. He did some jail time, and then went back into prison in 2018 for six years and. Uh, he tried to use COVID as an excuse to like serve serve his sentence from home, and they just said no. Yeah. Um, even though he apparently is asthmatic, hmm. uh, he is currently housed in the Milan Correctional Facility in uh, in Michigan. So, <laughs> and yeah, well, he tested positive for COVID. So maybe I shouldn't be laughing because that actually kind of sucks. Well, honestly. He got off on bail the first time and then made the same mistake. Yeah. So he did it to himself. Yes. Not that I'm happy or anything, but he should have learned the first time. Yes. Apparently, uh, John Dillinger's wife served time there, too. Who did? John Dillinger's wife. Uh, oh, nice. Evelyn Billy Frechette, which is a pretty awesome name for a gangster's okay. wife, served time in that same prison in the 30s. That's <laughs> so awesome. that's fun. Unrelated to anything, I just think it's pretty cool. Yeah. Um, so overall, I thought Fire was very good. It kept my attention mm-hmm. from the start. As far as documentaries go, it was very captivating. Yeah. Uh, it roped me in from the start, and at no point did I want it to be over. No, it's a lean, until like the last fifteen minutes. It's a lean ninety minutes mm-hmm. and change. You know, it's if one of those people who's like, "Oh, documentaries are so boring." This one's not boring. This one gets yeah. right into the action real quick. And not to be confused with the Hulu version, Fire Fraud. We're talking about the Netflix yeah. film Fire. Yes. They both came out around like the same week. Because so. yeah. <laughs> I, I accidentally almost watched the other one. Yeah. So, Which I, I probably will watch that one eventually. It's around the same length too, but it's different yeah, people. It's, it's same um, length, different people, and it's one point lower on IMDb. <laughs> it's like a 6.8 versus a 7.2. Oh, okay. Yeah. Welcome back to the Crossroads podcast. We are now taking a look at... Questlove, Amir Thompson's directorial debut, Summer of Soul, or When the Revolution Could Not Be Televised, a documentary about the 1969 Harlem Cultural Festival. This is a very different documentary. This is largely really good professional videography of the festival that just no one could sell, apparently. Yeah, Summer of Soul is the complete opposite of Fire. Like, where Fire is about the festival that never happened, Summer of Soul is about the festival. That, Like, if you lived in Harlem, you knew about this festival. Yeah. And it was around the same time as Woodstock, and just no one really talked about it. And it's yes. kind of a shame, because it's really cool. I mean, I'm not even familiar with half of the artists that played, and I thought that this was awesome, just watching this really good concert footage. The basic premise of this documentary is they filmed this festival in 1969, but then the footage was just locked in a basement for all that time. And what was it, five years ago they found it and cleaned it up and made the yeah. documentary? So, uh, the documentary just came out uh, very re- uh, very recently. It was... There were a couple... Well, like of, filming yeah, the interviews and there things. There were a couple of 
like sort of limited releases throughout the year and it finally hit streaming a couple of weeks ago and it is uh it's really really cool i thought it was just mm-hmm. very awesome uh one thing i thought was interesting is that Questlove, who has a huge personality did not put any of his personality into the movie he let everything speak for itself I really like that, though, because then the viewer doesn't get caught up in Questlove and who he is, because I'm sure that's a big reason why people have watched this, because he's a pretty prominent musician, and I'm kind of happy that he stepped back and let the yeah. the festival speak yeah, for itself. He's a, I mean, he's a record producer, too, so I think he knows when to lean in and when to lean back on things. For sure. Uh, yeah, I mean, this just goes through... Basically breaking it down almost band by band or singer by singer, and you get a little bit in each, uh, from each of one of several. I think they go through six or seven different major performers, mm-hmm. and CB Wonder is one of them, and that was really cool. And the one that really got got my attention was Sly and the Family Stone, who I've heard the name but wasn't really familiar with the music, and I was blown away by it. Yeah, that's definitely a group that I've heard of, but I can't put a sound to the yeah. name. And then, you know, when they show up in the movie, it's like, oh, so that's why people talk yeah. about Sly. Because that music sounds like it came out last week. Like, it's it's yeah. genre fusion in a way that's just so ahead of its time. It's funk and prog rock and psychedelia and all this awesome stuff. And unfortunately, Sly himself got into a whole bunch of uh, drug problems and disappeared for a long time. But apparently he's doing a lot better now, so that's cool. That's awesome. Good yeah. for him. Hopefully he puts out yeah, some he more put music. He put out a couple, a couple albums in the last few years, and then, you know, oh, seems to be kind of happy laying low. And that's, I mean, the guy's probably in his 80s cool. now, so... Yeah, he's probably he's ready 78. to just I think bed. he's ready to just kind of chill. He was 25, 26 when this happened. Good for him. I mean, uh, Stevie Wonder, I think, was nineteen when he played the uh, when he played the festival, and I mean, that's just yeah, crazy to me. He, I mean, he was a prodigy. Uh, yeah, he, he never let his blindness get in the way of anything. The guy, there's video of him playing drums in the documentary and not missing anything, and it's like mm-hmm. I can't play drums that well, and I can see the drums, so. I'm super impressed. Yeah, so something different about Summer of Soul that I didn't like quite as much as Fire was most of the footage was of the festival, where Fire was more about the making of the festival. Yeah. And as a person, I like seeing how things are made. So that interested me more. But by no means does that mean Summer of Soul is uninteresting. It's the music alone makes this documentary worth watching. Yeah, there is some stuff about the background and how, you know, quite frankly, a lot of white people didn't want it happening. And they were trying yeah. to get it shut down. And well, That was the time, yeah. unfortunately. Uh, I think this actually coincided with, um, was it the moon landing? And it was this whole thing about how... People are sending all this money to the to the moon, basically, when over in Harlem there's basically nothing. And yeah. it, that also could have been a very cool, uh, that could be a very cool dramatic film as well. Just these two worlds. Yeah. Both of these films that we're talking about would make really good drama films. Yeah. And there's, there's so much just to explore with the music that is 
stuff that I'm not super familiar with, and I think that's kind of a shame because of how good it is, and mm-hmm. just the celebration of life. It's so much color, and I mean, I wonder how much of that was restoration and how much of that was original, but it's... they. You can tell they definitely... Not definitely, but they probably brightened it up a little bit to look good on 4Ks yeah. and whatnot. Because this movie, the the interviews look mm-hmm. great. So you you got to match the old footage with the new. If the old footage was super grainy, it would just be kind of jarring each time it yeah. cut. So, but even still, like seeing that in person must have been mind blowing. Just so many colors and tons of people, and everyone's just having a wonderful oh, yeah. time. And one thing I liked is that. Before they did the, the interviews, they would show the footage to the people who were in the footage. And it's... Mm-hmm. These, some of these people may have forgotten how awesome it was, or maybe even forgotten even playing it. And it's just such a such an amazing thing to just see them go through all these things that they've... Uh, their entire careers and just be like, oh, well, this is a thing that was just... Yeah, because <sighs> the first time this footage has ever been seen is in this documentary. Yeah. And I wonder if so it's... That, is, that experience has to be unreal to see 50-year-old footage yeah. for the first As time. As if it was shot last week. Like, the the, the yes. restoration is really good. There's a, there's really not much I can criticize about this because it's it does exactly what it's trying to do. Mm-hmm. You, you might not necessarily agree with what it's trying to do. I mean, I think you have, some, you have a point in that the background of, of that would have been very cool to get into as well. And that's not even a yeah. criticism on my part. That's just from my standpoint, if I had to pick one over the other, yeah. I prefer knowing what goes into these festivals versus just the footage from yeah. the festival. And by no means is it not worth watching. Summer of Soul is absolutely yeah. it's, worth watching. It's a little longer and it's a little slower, so that could definitely uh, bring some people down. But yeah. It's different. It's it's Like you said, it's a celebration of this footage that they ultimately found in yeah. the basement. And it's really cool to see it like this. And I hope they do a, a full restoration of the full thing. I would like to see it yeah. as a live concert. Oh, yeah. I mean, it was several days long. Uh, I don't know how many days it was. Um, oh, okay. It, it, took, uh, it took place over the course of several Sundays, over the course of a month. So... Uh, so four yeah, weeks, but it was only on Sundays. Yeah. So it was uh, it was not constant like it would like Woodstock was, where yeah. like four or five days or three or four days or whatever. And mm-hmm. uh, yeah, it's just it's such a a thing that I was just unfamiliar with. And there were so many bands looking at the roster that they didn't even cover. So yeah, and yeah, this is something. Even the documentary, this is a movie I never heard of before. You mentioned it two weeks ago. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm really looking forward to uh, seeing if Questlove does another bit of directing because I mean, directing a documentary is way different than directing a film. But I think he's you know got a bit of a, a taste for it. And the guy's a very I think he's got the chops. <laughs> he's a very creative person, so I think it'd be very cool to you know to uh, see what comes from him next. Yeah. Um. So. Between Fire and Questlove, what similarities and differences do you do you? Uh, I mean, I think see? with uh, with Fire, the, the thing that I lets it down a little bit is that it's not the most visual story. But you could mm-hmm. listen to this, listen to that, and like almost like a radio play. Like 
You yeah. don't really need the visuals. A lot of it's just talking heads, like a lot of documentaries. Are. A lot of it's B-roll of just them around yeah. tables. So it's not particularly but, visually interesting, but it's a very interesting story. Yeah, it's the dialogue yeah. and the, the interviews that really captivated yes. me. Because it's all first-hand experiences. Whereas Summer of Soul, the colors just pop off the screen. Even mm. in the interviews, they have really interesting backgrounds. They have... Everyone's wearing bright cl- bright colors, and it's that is very cool so that's the thing you definitely want to sit there and watch you don't want to be doing something else yeah because you you really want to pay attention to the visuals too yeah these two movies are on different ends of the same spectrum like they they couldn't be more different but they couldn't be more similar if you know what i mean absolutely fire festival is about the making of a festival that never happened and summer of soul is about the festival that did happen that nobody saw yes and i think that's that was not a thing that I noticed until I was trying to summarize it up. Uh, but yeah, that's mm-hmm. exactly what was going on. And uh, I'm, I think knowing about both these things a little bit more just makes me a better citizen of the world, if that makes sense. <laughs> like Yeah, like Summer of Soul is such a cultural yeah. phenomenon yeah. that hopefully more people will learn about it now that it's on Hulu for majority of people yeah. to watch. There was a uh, a brief theatrical release, uh, but I mean theaters. I mean theaters are going to be shutting down again, probably, which I'm not happy about. Oh, I, hope. I hope not too, but we'll see. But until that time, we'll be attending. Yep. Doing that. And on that note, uh, we're not quite sure what we're going to be uh, pairing it with, but suicide. The Suicide Squad. Suicide Squad Two. Whatever that comes out. This the, week? The one by James yes. Gunn. Which I'm one. very excited to see where he goes with that, because James Gunn is, to me, like Ryan Johnson's testosterone-poisoned brother. <laughs> like, yes. like, I like everything James Gunn has done, from his schlocky horror to his Guardians of the yeah. Galaxy movies. I think he's just a fantastic writer and director. And The Suicide Squad has 100% on Rotten Tomatoes right now. And a lot of people are saying it's his best film, so that I am is, extremely excited. That is impressive, because I think he's made some really good movies. Uh, I think Guardians of the Galaxy 2 is phenomenal. Yeah, and he's got a... Like, it had, it's a really good story, and it's very emotional, and I'm excited to see him take that into a darker, more violent comic book story. Yes, and that's a thing that I think he definitely has the potential to do. I'm amazed that the guy who can, you know, do that... Uh, uh, what's the um, uh, tra- trauma stuff? He did yes. the trauma films, and he can also do something as optimistic as Guardians of the Galaxy. And he's very yeah. diverse. He also wrote the Scooby Doo movies, which I think is kind of funny. Yeah, did he? he didn't. That's that's yeah. funny. I did. Not he know was that. A, a super fan apparently, and he. That's uh, awesome. He wrote the Belko experiment, but the director kind of buggered that yep. one up. I think. I didn't mind that. I think it's the the text is funny, but the direction wasn't funny. So yeah. But he's also apparently <laughs> making a uh, a big Roadrunner Coyote movie. Ooh, I'm excited which for that. I am. He's writing. He's not directing it, but I think he's got the right skill set to pull that off, to make that play. Because I think that definitely mm-hmm. plays into his skill set. 
He also did the movie Brightburn. Which... I don't know if he directed that, He's just a producer. Um, yeah. His, uh, his brothers wrote it. His, uh... Or cousin? He's got... His one brother, uh... We're, we're getting way off topic. His one brother was, yeah. uh... <laughs> the crazy d- dude in Gilmore Girls, a- a.k.a. the reason to watch that show. The insane dude who hangs yeah. out. That's his one brother, who's in most of his movies. Uh, okay. Oh, yeah, um... Sean yes, Gunn, I believe. Who, He's in, yeah, he's in all yeah. this stuff. I'm not sure if he's going to be in this one just because there may not already be a role for him, but... I'm sure he's yeah. in it. I don't know who half of these people, or half of these uh, characters... I didn't see the first one, but we're get, we'll get all, into all of this next week. <laughs> so, um, I am excited for that. I wasn't two minutes ago, and now I'm excited, so... Yeah, uh... When they announced this, the only reason I was excited was for James Gunn, and then the trailer dropped, and I was immediately in. I'm really happy King Shark is in it. And played by Sylvester Stallone, too. Oh, yeah. King Shark is my boy. And Viola Davis is in this, and John Cena, and Idris Elba, and Peter Capaldi, Margot Robbie, of course. Yeah. Yeah. The cast is unreal. Yeah. So, we will, uh, we will definitely be having a field day with that next week but yes and i'm thinking we should um pair with the expendables but we will discuss further we shall see but thank you all for joining us at the crossroads and we will see you soon